the most critical thing I think for someone who's early into their marketing career is finding good mentorship to help navigate the things that are not marketing specific. Welcome to Marketers Talking Marketing. Today we have a special guest. We're joined by Rhonda Geet and we're going to talk about how to overcome obstacles. Rhonda, you've had such a fantastic career and really I think seen the gambit of company size industry. And so super excited to hear what you share with the audience because I think it's going to be applicable to everyone regardless of stage, industry, vertical, except whatever whatever other technographic for terms we're using. <laughs> that. Um, but Rhonda, do you want to tell everyone at home just a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I have over 20 years of marketing experience in both B2B and B2C companies. I helped two B2C companies be acquired, one by Electronic Arts and one by MTV Networks. And in 2021, I helped a B2B SaaS company go public on the New York Stock Exchange. I'm currently a fractional CMO focused on helping B2B tech companies overcome obstacles to get to their next growth milestone. And I'm also a portfolio advisor for early stage uh, companies that cover industries including healthcare, technology platforms, sustainabilities, and a whole bunch more. Rhonda, I think you have my dream job. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so we're chatting a little bit before the show too. So within these, you really help companies overcome obstacles to achieve growth regardless of size and scale. What are some of the common things you see that are stopping these companies from growing? Yes. Uh, regardless of size, throughout my career, I've seen companies kind of hit three main points that they have to overcome to get to their next growth milestone. One is what got you here won't get you there. Growing pains within an organization and prioritization. Everyone has problems picking what three things are you going to focus on regardless of the size of company that you are. The last one really hits home <laughs> for me quite a bit, but, but let's let's dive into it. Let's start with the first one that you mentioned. Okay. So what got you here won't get you there. Um, I wish I had something catchier to title it, but that's the simplest way to describe it. In early stage companies, you run across your ICP changing and you have to adapt and pivot as you find your product market fit. And then you find that you hit these walls, usually at 5 million ARR, 10 million ARR. And what you've been doing to get to that point won't help you get to the next point. You have to adjust. You have to introduce new programs, shift budgets, adjust roadmaps um, to break through that wall and get to the next growth milestone. I have firsthand seen so many instances where companies are going from, you know, maybe two or three employees in a function where you don't need project management because you all sit, especially pre-COVID, you all sit together in the same little pod every day in the same room and you know everything that's happening with each other to, okay, now we have 10 employees and not everyone knows everyone and maybe one or two are remote. And so we have to start having actual processes and structure. And it feels like there's always at least one person who's super resistant. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, this isn't us. Like we're a startup. Like we don't need to document this. It's like, no, 
George, you need to use the same damn font as the rest of the company. You need to use Oxford commas. Like we need to be uniform in how we do things. There's definitely people who struggle with that and who, who, you know, see their, that initial growth as something that they, that they directly cause. And if they change anything, it'll all go away instead of recognizing that you need to evolve and adapt as things change with it. And it's, it's, um, sometimes hard to watch them not get out of their own way with it. It, it is really hard. And it, especially if you have to adapt your ICP, which most companies do when they go from early stage to, you know, a mid stage company. And you're like, oh, but all of these, these customers got us to this point. If we abandon them, you know, it's all going to fall apart. And, it, that usually is not the case. It's usually if you stay with that initial ICP and you haven't, you know, your product's adapted and grown, but your ICP has to do that too. And it's really hard for early stage employees who have focused on that to to understand that you have to shift for, for whatever reason to hit a new ICP. And also, as an early stage employee, you wear like 10,000 hats because, you know, it's small. And as you grow, you hit those growing pains where you now ask someone, instead of focusing on 10 things, maybe they only focus on two and they feel like they're getting responsibility taken away from them, where it's actually the opposite by focusing on just a couple of things instead of multiple things you're able to grow faster and get things done and it's a lot of change management and communication and helping employees realize that they're not getting things taken away from them we're just adding more employees so that we can focus on our specialties and that's really hard too and what i call like the second pain point um yeah is there anything leaders can do or managers can do to help employees because I've admittingly I have been that person who's like wait hold on I don't have everything now like wait am I getting fired (laughs) it's true you know especially in you know a weird economic time or you know throwing a pandemic no one knows what's going on and so you get really worried and you think if I don't have all these responsibilities that I used to have they won't find me valuable or they can find that I'm replaceable. Uh, so that is a natural reaction. I think the best way to counter that as a company and as executive leadership is to communicate and over communicate and ex- explain we got here. We appreciate everyone who got us here, but now we kind of hit a plateau we have we're not growing and we need to get to that next growth milestone for investment purposes to be acquired to go public whatever their goal is and really helping employees understand the journey that the company is on and why they're bringing on more people so that you can be more specialized and grow faster and that you're really relying on their expertise in a certain area and and just listening like let your employees talk to you let them explain what they're feeling and reassure them that no you know in marketing 
you were responsible for email and social and content and the website and the app and everything else. And now you're just focused on email marketing. But here's the thing, you know, email, because you had five other things, we were just doing the bare minimum for email. But if you build out the email program, you can do nurturing, you can you can do interactions based on what they do on the website. You can serve up relevant content. There's a lot more that you can do that we're not doing in this current. You can go deeper in that function and really kind of, uh, there's that idea of a T-shaped marketer, which I feel like oftentimes we're, especially marketers at early stage companies, we go so broad and we do so many things that it's hard to really go deep in specific areas. Do you have recommendations for companies where they're, they have employees who don't want that, who are saying, no, 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 like this is, it's too much for me not to do too many things. <laughs> like I, <laughs> this isn't what I want. I don't want to be deep. <laughs> I, you know, I think you, you need to have those conversations with employees. And I love working with companies that have those conversations of, you know what, I came on as a social media marketer. I don't really love social media. I don't love doing all of the slicing and dicing for different platforms. What I really like doing is writing blogs or project management or something else. And I love when companies have those conversations with employees and help map a path to get, you know, employee that was in marketing maybe over to project management or if a if a employee wants to be in charge of all of it, how do you help them get to those higher levels in the organization so that they can manage multiple people? And they are responsible for all of it, but they're also responsible for managing and developing and growing a team. So it's it's really talking with employees and realizing which employees are really you know, committed to the company. They're a great worker. They have great motivation. They just might be in the wrong spot and helping them get to a better spot, which is going to help the employee and the employer. It's so interesting because I think, I think in, in, in 2023, uh, so if anyone's watching this from the future, (laughs) back in our day, you know, 2023, uh, there's a lot of companies I talk to that are smaller that are having career planning conversations early and they're saying like we know that you're the first marketing hire but like let's think about how we're going to build this organization out let's think about how the function will grow over time but i think back to 10 years ago and i was you know there's 30 40 person size companies that are are growing that didn't have career planning that didn't have org structure design and there's like we're going to do what needs to get done Here's our task list. We're a flat organization. Like everyone figure it out on your own and just kind of grab things. And you have someone who ends up being your your sales, fo- your marketer that inter- the, uh, interacts with the field because they were a BDR at one time. And your marketer talks to product because they used to be in product. And there was there really intention behind a lot of, I think, designing of teams, but they're definitely, it feels like there's more now. I definitely agree. I, I think there's more now than there used to be. I think there's a lot more that can be done. And, you know, as much as employees want to stay with an employer and vice versa, because it's it's more efficient, it's 
it's more economic you know it was like and in this economy <laughs> there's like you know a thousand reasons to keep yeah. employee with a company but even sometimes you can have this career path and you know you might have to have that hard conversation with an employee of you know we're gonna have to bring someone in over you because we we need x y and z strategic thinking or this or that and you're going to get there, but we need it faster. And unfortunately, you know, you can't speed that up because you just learned that over time. Yeah. And Rhonda, you're in my head. <laughs> I firsthand saw this happen recently. Very, very talented young marketer early in their career, doing a great job, killing it. And they're like this tier, two levels above them. That person was left, left. And they said, okay, we need to, we need to backfill that. Let's think about, is that the role we need? Do we need to maybe down, downskill it a bit, you know, blah. And that person said, I want that role. And they had like just been promoted to their current role. So it's like a massive jump. Could they do it? It's a stretch goal, but they're really talented. They could knock it out of the park. And I had this exact same conversation with the CMO that you could do that you're going to lose so much value that that person could learn, could, could get from having someone who's done it before. You have someone who's cleared the path, who's walked the path, who can light it for them and help them get there even faster and avoid some of those stumbling blocks. And if you don't, you're going to end up having this person who, yes, could get you there for much more money and much longer time. And it's going to be painful for them yeah. to go through on their own. Um, but they made the decision for that person's ego to not bring anyone over them because they would get too upset about it. And it's like, you're just, you're screwing them in the long run it, because it, yeah, yeah, it's hard and it, it's hard. And, you know, going back thinking of my younger self, I'm sure I was one of those people that's like, I can do it. I can do it. I was that person. I was that person. hundred percent. I'll admit it. I'm pretty sure I was too. Yeah. And then, you know, as you progress in your career, you realize, yes, the the functionality, the basics of marketing, yes, you get that. But there's so many nuances that you realize as you grow higher and higher in the marketing organization, you're doing less and less of actual marketing. Yes. You're helping develop those under you. You're managing people and all that that entails with the personalities and the conflicts and those that are motivated versus not motivated. You're also dealing with the rest of the executive suite, who is your primary first team that you have to report to and rely on and back up over your marketing team. There's a lot of things that you don't know when you're in a more junior role that when you get to the higher level, it's not actually doing marketing, it's managing, it's strategizing, it's making hard decisions with, oh, here's our budget. We only have this much. Where should we spend it? Your first thought is marketing. But if you look at it from a company holistically, it might be smarter to invest it in product marketing doesn't have as big of a budget and you have to be okay with that when you're at that executive level and having those conversations and you don't really realize all of that until you go through it and you start navigating it it's 
I think one of the the biggest mistakes, and I don't want to say a mistake in terms of someone making a wrong move. The most critical thing I think for someone who's early into their marketing career is finding good mentorship to help navigate the things that are not marketing specific. Like so true. Yeah. When you have, when someone on the board is asking you how inbound is doing and they mean all of being able to nuance that to what do they actually mean? Oh, when they say inbound, they mean all of marketing. They don't differentiate between any of it. So they're talking about inbound and demand gen and demand capture and event marketing. And what they really want to know is revenue. You know, how can you take that ask from your CEO and give them the answer in a way that they're going to consume it? And like, there's so much, there's so much that you never, you can't learn in a book, you know, you can't learn in school. Yeah. With this, the situation I witnessed, I feel bad for the person because they're making a decision based on what they think is best for their career. And it was, it's so not the best for from someone who's been in their position, who also was super career aggressive. I look at it like what a lost opportunity you have to like learn from someone who's been there before who could really help set you up for even greater success. Like you're just limiting it long-term. Yes. Sometimes you just have to learn those hard lessons by making really dumb mistakes. And I've made a lot of dumb mistakes. (laughs) Same. But I think that's how you learn. You learn more from your mistakes than from your successes. And and I think, you know, sometimes you just have to go through that to understand. Yeah. Ideally, it's, uh, you know, it's a safe mistake too, where you can, I always try and I had a manager once when I was an intern, you, Rhonda, you were, you were in manufacturing for a while. I started my career interning in manufacturing engineering, doing process improvement. And I had a manager who would pit the interns against each other. And he, he said, he's like, I'm going to throw bricks on you until you sink so that you know where your limit is. And so he would just throw shit. And I, and I was like, I'm working like 70 hour weeks. And he's like, cool. You should have said no 20 hours ago. <laughs> like, what are you like? You're don't be stupid. That's it's your fault. You're doing it. You have to say no and push back. He one time deleted a bunch of files and then told one of the engineering managers that I accidentally deleted them all. And I was like, what the fuck? And he's like, listen, now you have, now you get to experience going to work and having someone hate you every day and you have to learn how to work through it. Cause when you're an intern, it's the safest time to piss people off. So learn how to work with someone who doesn't want to talk to you. And I was like, what? I was so mad, but in retrospect, it, I mean, I guess it's a little trauma by fire, but I was like, wow, like that actually was, and he didn't, he had the files backed up. So he was like, don't worry, I replaced them. But it's like, you save them and you deleted them. You you dickhead. And at the time there wasn't auditing. Um, but it, yeah, in retrospect, I was like, that was a good experience. Cause you do, you learn a lot. Like when you mess stuff up at work, when you make people mad, when you give your, your CEO the wrong answer, and then you have to hear about it from your boss or your boss's boss, you know, it is a good, but, you know, as a manager though, my, I want to protect my little babies, <laughs> you know, I don't want anyone to have to go through what I went through. I want everyone to have like a good experience and not have to grow tough skin, but that doesn't grow people. It doesn't. And it, and it's a balance because I'm the same way. I love building teams. I'm very protective of the teams that I build uh, because I feel it's, it's your job as a manager to kind of shield a lot of the craziness that can be going on, especially if you're going through a crazy economic time and everyone's worried about 
losing their jobs. Like right now, when you go on LinkedIn every day, it's like, here's more companies laying people every day. And as a manager, I feel you have to make your team feel safe, even though you know that if you don't hit certain revenue goals, they're probably going to be laid off. And there's nothing that you can do about that. Um, But you have to balance that because if everyone's super worried about their job, then they're not going to be focused on helping get to that revenue goal. And then you're not going to hit the revenue goal. And then you are going to have to lay everyone off. Well, I think related to that, you know, we talked briefly about having the wrong person in the wrong role. So if you have someone who's like a culture carrier at work or an early stage employee that's like super, super devoted and they're devoted to growing with the company and they're open to growing with the company, not just doing the same thing in a different role, you want to find a spot that works for them. But sometimes they're not in the right company for them anymore. And you have to make that decision to move to move them out, you know, to potentially separate with them. Um And it's hard, I think, in this economy to have that conversation, like we need to hire a different person for this role, recognizing you might be sending them out into a tough situation job market-wise and economically and do everything you can to set them up with like a good severance package and referrals and all that. But, you know, it's really hard to make some of those decisions, I think, especially in this economy right now. Someone's going to come for me on that and be like, Lang laying off an employee in the recession unnecessarily but growth hurts sometimes i don't know it does and i i am i'm conflicted with what's going on right now in the economy because i do feel a lot of companies grew a lot faster than they probably and now this is making an adjustment but unfortunately that's impacting a lot of people on several different levels, their family, their everything. But I also, having lived through, unfortunately, a couple of recessions, and I live in the middle of Silicon Valley, so was here for the dot-com bust and the bubble bursting and the craziness and, and then the whole 2009 craziness that happened. You know, and marketing is always the first to go and the last to be fired. So you kind of get used to it, but you also learn a lot from it and you take that to your next opportunity. Sometimes, you know, those conversations are definitely tough. And if you're, you know, talking to an employee that's been there since the beginning, you have this relationship with them. It's even harder to have those conversations, but it will probably benefit the company and the person later on in longer term yeah i had a i had a company hypothetically that i was at (laughs) obviously i was there as i laid this out there's no need to try and protect it (laughs) i had a company i was at and i came in and there were a few like early employees and one of them just said like listen like if this is what you want from the role i'm not the person and i was like when i took over the function i was like fantastic that is what I want from the role. You're not the person. Awesome. We're aligned. What do you want to do? Let's try and make it happen. Couldn't make it happen. Wanted a function that like just did not exist in the company. The company at the time wasn't open to investing in that function. They later did a few years later, but they weren't ready for it. Just didn't make sense. So made a very nice exit, made it as good as humanly possible, but it, it took me fighting to make that change because no one wanted it to happen. And understand like but we got it we got my responsibility is to the company to make the best decisions for the company finally made it 
six months later, we're, we're at a company event. And one of the founders said, I am so sorry I waited so long. Like this, because we would have never gone here without that. The person that we ended up hiring as a, as a replacement for that role, stellar, killer, knocked it out of the park. And them alone was able to get the company to a different spot. And they were like, I, I should have, we should have done this earlier. It's like, yeah, you know, but it's hard because you, you want to take care of your employees. But I feel like as managers, we're, we're not just responsible for our employees in their time with our company. It's responsible also for that employee for the longevity of their career, you know? And so if they're not in the right role at your company, that's as bad for them as you having the wrong person in the role at your company, they're not going to excel in that role. They're not going to hit the performance marks. They're not going to be promotable, right? It's not going to be good for them either. And so what's best for them? It's getting them in a role that's best for them. I was at a wedding the other day for an employee that I fired a couple years ago. That was a really good moment. I felt like very, I was a little moved that I got invited in the first place, but I was like, wow, because she is super upset when I let her go, which is understandable. But I'm like, you're amazing. You're fantastic. What you do, you're in the wrong role. Let's get you in the right role. And she went to another company that was a better fit. And then she got to another company that was a better fit and a better role for her where she's knocking it out of the park today still and got like two promotions and like a year and a half from each other. You know, when you think about from the employee standpoint too, I think like companies look at it as like, woe is me, I'm being an asshole, this employee, but like what's best for them? Cause you owe it to them for, I think, you know, managers can, bad managers can mess up your career. They can mess up your life. Very much so. And one of my mentors, one of the things that she does that I think is just amazing is if she's in a situation where you have to lay off people, she helps try to find another role for those people and that is so key and i don't think that a lot of of managers do that you know they're like i have to focus on the craziness that is you know of of managing someone leaving and reduced budgets and all this other stuff and you have a million things going on but taking that extra time to help someone who is a, a great person and really good at their job but not the job that they're currently in is so key and and then you get to have stories like going to their wedding yeah 100 percent. get yeah 100 percent. it's um we're we're just going on a this is an episode of how to fire people now <laughs> <laughs> but i that should be we should actually do a little table on that how to how to really like Cause it is, there's a lot of man, but I think there's also a lot of man. It always kills me. I started three sentences there. It always kills me though. When I see someone who's terminated and did not expect it. Layoffs are different. I think this wave of layoffs too is like very different than layoffs in the past, but it always like hurts my soul when I'll see someone who did not expect to get let go. Where was your feedback? Were you getting performance feedback? Were you getting, were you getting like coaching? Were you put on a pip? Did anyone tell you you weren't doing a good job before they chose to fire you? And unfortunately, like there's, I've seen employees that just didn't get performance feedbacks because the manager's like, they're doing bad. So they just didn't tell them anything good and thought that would be perceived as bad. It's like, right. And, and it's where it's hard to have those conversations. It's hard to say, yeah. Hey, you're, you're not doing what you need to be doing. And, and this is what I need you to 
you and how I need you to get there. It's hard to have those conversations. And unfortunately, sometimes managers will just avoid the, the conversation and be like, well, because I, I'm not talking to them as much, they'll figure out that there's yeah. something wrong. I'm being passive aggressive to them. They they were they were last on the meeting and agenda instead of first. Like they'll get it. It's like, no, they don't. You need you know, it goes back though, when you're a growing company, having clear expectations of I I had a manager once who had me sit down and map out my team as if I had no employees. And so what are the roles that you actually need? Who are the team members you have? Do their skills match the roles? And then where do you have gaps? And going through that exercise and understanding as the team grows, you know, right now we have a marketing generalist and we know the first thing we're going to split off is lifecycle marketing and email because it's really, really important. Hey, generalists, do you like that stuff? Oh, you don't? Fantastic. Let's start talking to people and try and get some people on the bench who might be good for that. Yep. Hey, like what's next? Okay. Hey, generalist, like, do you like this thing? Oh my God. You like that thing? Great. You're going to, you're going to own social someday. Get ready for it. And when you do, you're going to have to peel these things off. So make sure you're documenting everything and really like making it even at the early stages a planned out thing. And I think if you also know, if you know that you also can't promote an employee anytime soon, you can still talk about what promotion looks like outside the company. Someday they are going to be like every employee I've ever had. Someday you're going to be a CMO. Let's get you there. And they're like, I'm a marketing coordinator. I don't know if I like marketing. <laughs> Great. Someday you're going to be an SVP of revenue. Like, I don't know. Pick a thing. Right. You know, so, but it's, it's weird. I don't know. Some people, I think a lot of people become managers by default because they're good individual contributors and they think it's what they need to do to get promoted and make more money. Or the company doesn't have career paths for individual contributors. Yeah. Yes. It, it's it, only managers. It's, uh, I, yeah, I, I definitely think like the longer that you're around, I actually have a friend that's going through this now. He's a fabulous engineer and he's been doing engineering his whole life. And he kept getting promoted and promoted and promoted to managing teams. And he hates managing teams. He hates me. All he has to do is code. And he interviews with companies. He's like, I just want to code. Oh, no, you're an SVP of blah, blah, blah. And you you need to do that here. No, I just want to code. And one will believe him that all he wants to do is code. That's how you end up with, with these uh, like lead engineers. They're like, you are VP for like 20 years at so-and-so. And they're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, It's not managing people is so much more it's it's not it's not for everyone and it's a lot of work and having to like sometimes have ridiculous conversations i had an employee one time who's really upset because she couldn't figure out how to deposit a check because she was in her early 20s and never been to a bank before and someone gave her a check and i was like okay like and she but she has social anxiety and so I'm like walking through the process. I was like, we're going to spend 30 minutes just like role playing. Pretend I'm a bank teller. She's like, what's a bank teller? I'm like, okay. <laughs> Imagine you walk into the, right? It's like stuff like that. Like you, it's so much more than just sitting down and making a marketing plan. Yep. You know, yep. explaining to your CFO how marketing works in general. <laughs> like, yes. That's it, so it's also those, those moments where you're like, oh, that's just so hard that you don't. You don't know that because you've never experienced that. And you yeah. you kind of have that moment of like, oh, things have changed so much, even though they haven't. And yeah, it's hard to have those conversations. 
I remember I was at a, I was, there's a time in which I presented marketing slide to the CRO at a, an established company. And he was like, I don't know what I'm looking at. It's the first time I've seen metrics. I was like, what? It was like, okay. And, but, but you can't react in that moment, right? You'd be like, okay, awesome. Like, let's talk through it. This is how I think about it. Let me know because maybe your definition's different. So I'm just going to over, I'm going to over explain everything just to make sure we're on the same page, you know, not trying to like, you know, to make sure you're saying it in a way that's not like you guys don't know this shit. So let me explain it to you. But like, let me just over explain just in case we have different definitions because different people define this differently. Um, you know, that goes back to mentorship because that's not skills that you pick up really easily right? when you haven't gone or seen other people when you, when you either haven't gone through it or seen other people go through it to be able to learn from on that side. It's true. And also as you grow through your career and progress further up the ladder, a lot of the people that you interact with don't like the marketing speak. They don't want to know about the marketing speak. They want to know how this ties to revenue. And you have to understand what that is and figure out how to speak the same rest of the people on the executive team as the board. And, and no one tells you that. And you kind of stumble into it and you're like, what? You don't want to know all my wonderful things yeah. that I love? When, oh my God. I don't. When you go into an executive meeting because sales are down, and your head of sales just reported that no one made their number. And then you come in and you're like, marketing is crushing it. Website visits are up 20%. Yeah. <laughs> like you want death lasers at your head. <laughs> like but you don't know anger until that happens. Yeah. So true. Yeah. It's like, sorry, you guys suck. <laughs> like, Oh, oh my God. No, I was at this one um, company. I was brought in to head up their marketing efforts, and the the company, like the marketing team, was like, "We're hitting a hundred percent of our MQLs." I'm like, "Why are you tracking MQLs? Like MQLs don't matter if they're not quality." And and, and what was so interesting is their SQLs were at twenty three percent conversion, and then the one rate was at 11%, which wasn't great. And I was like, we're not going to focus on MQLs. I don't care how many that you provide because it comes down to quality and how are they converting through the funnel. And we increased the SQLs by 44% and the win rate we increased by 31% by not focusing on marketing qualified leads because marketing can come in and say look how great we're doing and it's like but you're not you have to look at it holistic yeah what well, we would often for different programs we used mql as that really that trigger for sales and so if we had a webinar that we had 700 attendees for we're going to score everyone and we're only mqling ones that look really qualified that engage because that's like that's a ton that we're going to send over to our team but if we have a webinar with 20 attendees, we're MQLing everyone because we want them to follow up with everyone because we are we have a slower volume. There's more that they can do. Or if we have like an in-person event. So we would, we would always change our MQL criteria for the thing based on what the appetite of the sales team was. I also want to say the 20 registrants would have been anyone was probably like an ABM-focused webinar. But point is we'd use it as a kind of um, almost a limiting factor. 
so that we wouldn't flood them and if it would help them prioritize it better. And so we would originally report on, you know, here's our pipeline contribution. And then we'd work back because everyone wanted to see all the upstream metrics. Like, why do your MQLs fluctuate so much? Because we change it. And almost all of our, like half of our event budget is spent Q4. <laughs> so half of our MQLs are coming in like Q4, Q1. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting getting people to level set on the right metrics on that side. Um, Rhonda, I think you had a third that we didn't get to yet. <laughs> we got... <laughs> I, uh, it is uh, setting priorities. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss it before. <laughs> and and it is the most difficult. I actually just did a, a survey on LinkedIn and setting priorities, toughest one of all of them. And it it is hard no matter what size company you are. You can be a Fortune 100 company or you could be a two-person startup. And determining what priorities you're going to focus on is so hard, especially when the economy is crazy and budgets are tightening up. You know, the first thing to do is cut all the long-term programs, usually in marketing, uh, and that's all your brand building and all the, you know, awareness that you put out there that contributes to longer term pipeline. And then on the shorter term goals, you try to make it so efficient that, you know, you, you do very little with, you know, very little. <laughs> and it And it doesn't work that way. You have to kind of set your priorities and really make hard decisions on these are the three things that we're going to focus on. And once we get those done, we're going to move on. And it's very hard to do that. No, I 100%. I So recently, as as I think a lot of our listeners around, you know, I started an agency and I've recently been expanding with, with part-time help and, you know, making full-time hire soon. And I went through and was was working on delegation the other day and I felt like so much resistance internally to to hand off certain things. And I was like, no, like I need to focus on ensuring that all of our client obligations are executed thoroughly. Like that's my number one priority is executing on our client commitments to make sure that we're, you know, we're meeting and going beyond our our goals that we've set with them. And so what are the things that I can put off my plate? And there's a couple of things where I'm like, I know take me only take me like a couple hours to do it over the weekend. I was like, no have to hand it off because it is hard. It's hard to get really, really focused with what you're doing personally in the role. And then what the program is focusing on, especially it, it pains me when I see a lot of these programs cut, there's some really good data from, I will find it and insert it into the video. And if you're on the audio podcast, you know, check out, it'll be on our socials, I'm sure. Uh, but there's good, good study. I want to say it was from, I want to say it was not from Gartner. <laughs> so I was going to say that. Uh, and it was revenue performance of companies post recession based on when they cut marketing spend Yep. and companies that did not cut marketing spend rebounded very quick. I think it was like year one rebounded from it. Companies that cut marketing spend and depending on how aggressive it was, it took them like five to seven years longer to really rebound post recession because you do lose a lot of brand awareness. You lose a lot of those touch points and affinity with your client, your prospects, if you're not continuing to talk to them during the recession. Um, but it's hard when, because how do you get those program dollars? If you can't, don't cut them, it means you're cutting headcount. Right. And, and it's a balance. And, and it's hard 
you know, discussions that you have to have at the executive level of, okay, we need to tighten the belt because our our revenue's down, our sales are down. It's taking longer instead of three months, it's at a six month sales cycle now. And you have to adjust as a company. But then how do you balance those longer term pipeline branding programs with shorter term programs and maybe less people to do it? So, and especially if you have a company that has hit one of the growth milestones and you're trying to get to the next one, say that you're trying to go from 5 million ARR to 10 million. And you've had those growth discussions that we just talked about of, oh, we need you to focus on this specific thing so that we can grow faster. And then you hit a crazy, turbulent economic time where you have to cut headcount. And now you're saying, oh, you know how we said you had to be specific? Now you have to take on more and by the way your budget is a third of what it was and and then you have to have those conversations again and that person is going to come ask for a raise because now you're asking them to do three jobs exactly yeah and you have to explain oh we can't because the reason that we're adding more on is because of it it, it, we're broke it's hard it's hard conversations (laughs) and yeah and Hopefully, as a manager, you can explain that to someone and help them grow with the company and realize that if you can get through these crazy times, it's going to be beneficial to everyone. What pains me to see that I feel like I'm seeing more with the layoffs that are happening as of late than what I would see with like occasional layoffs the last few years over tech is it feels like it's a lot more of decisions being made to terminate really experienced people and then fill with, and I don't understand how it's not age discrimination when I'll see someone terminated who's like senior director of product marketing. And then I see that same company post like a product marketing coordinator or product marketing manager role. And it just feels like a lot of companies are are also making those decisions to remove experienced talent and bring in less experienced individuals who cost less, um, who have less overhead with them. Also, they have less experience, right? You're not going to get the same output, but it feels, it feels very icky. It feels very hard to see that. I, I think it's hard also for the company because if you're looking at just dollar amounts, the more experienced person is costing you more. And they're probably at a point in their career where they don't want to do a lot of execution because they need their dues. They probably honestly aren't great at execution. And probably not I'll tell you more. that much too. <laughs> yeah. Once you're out of execution for a while, yeah. you realize that there's so much no. that has happened mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, how do you how do, do that anymore? I spent, so I started a company in college. We built, we built it mainly on social media with presence. I worked in social media the first like eight, nine years. So I spent, I mean, I, I started running paid, paid campaigns like 2007. And I think the last time I was hands-on on a campaign actually was last year. I ran one. You could not pay me enough money in the world to make you a social media editorial calendar. 
You cannot pay me enough for it. It's going to take me three weeks to do. I'm going to hate every moment of it. And I'm going to be so bad at it. Yeah. I can't do it. it I cannot do it. And it's hard for the company because if you're looking at just straight salary, you're like, okay, the 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 more experienced person needs to go away. If you're if you're one of those rare companies that's like, oh, well, we can go and talk to them and say, okay, we're going to have to account. We really want to keep you, but you have a high salary. So you're going to have to do strategy and execution. I, I, if someone came to me with that, I would be like, just let me go. Like, let yeah. me go I'd be like, now. Be- give me 10 hours a week <laughs> as a contractor. If you so. You're going to pay me more because I'm paying my own taxes now. But give me part-time as a country. But yeah, like, yeah. but yeah, they just, I think there are people who would, I think there are a lot of people who, yes, would 100% be like, nope, not doing it. And there's there's a small group of people who would say, give me part-time. Because even then, if you have your senior talent at part-time and you're augmenting with someone that they can at least teach, you know, you're going to net, net out. But I think what we're going to see is a lot of these companies that are making that decision to swap talent. I want to see more lawsuits, number one. It's it's a protected class. There's, I've hear, I'm hearing people who are on maternity leave and paternity leave getting laid off. That's a protected I class. Like thought of that too. You can't do that shit. I want to see lawsuits, but I also think it's gonna be really interesting because in there's gonna be some newer to the mark, newer to the workplace talent. I don't want to say younger because maybe someone switched careers. There's gonna be some newer to the workplace talent that is gonna thrive. They're gonna be coming out in three years as a CMO. Because they were running all this shit and they networked the heck out of it and they met people who helped them outside the company. Because I'm also seeing, I'm I'm mentoring quite a few younger workers right now that are being told like, we just don't have mentorship for you internally. We need you to build this program, but can you go find people who will help you learn how to build it? We're going to see some killers coming out of it who are going to use this opportunity to grow. But we're going to see a really weird workforce in like five or six years. There'll be a lot of people who couldn't get entry-level jobs. And so they went to other functions, but eventually they're going to come back to the one that they want to work in. We're going to see workers who are starting their own thing. I think like a lot of freelancers and contractors, like let's try to put consultant and contractor together. It's going to be a weird workforce though. It's going to be a weird workforce is is what I think. I um. But yeah, suit. I just lawsuits. You can't just. I got. I got so. I saw firsthand a few cases, and I got so mad because it's not. It's not okay. You know, you can't just fire people willy nilly. Right. There's still rules. There's still rules, and you still need to. Yeah. But those are those are hard decisions for companies to make. You know, the easy thing to do is just look at salary and go done. Yeah. And it feels like that's what a lot of them are doing. Yep. But, you know, those companies, I don't think are going to survive long term. You know, I think the companies that are making when you have to cut, if you're able to cut in a more compassionate way, you know, what I do think is I'm seeing a lot of companies where the companies are are trying to help their impacted employees find their next role. They're creating like company-wide job boards, essentially, of here's our impacted employees and going to their VC networks and going to to friends and and such. But it's going to be interesting how it, it impacts companies long-term because I don't think that they are necessarily thinking about it fully when they're just trying to 
to find those. But you know, that's, that's the stuff that they don't teach you in marketing school. I didn't go to marketing school. Also I did industrial (laughs) engineering and data science. It's it's things that you learn as you grow and, and you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And you, you learn and you grow. Yeah. Like surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rhonda, thank you so much for joining today. I think we're definitely topped out on our our usual time. (laughs) Um, For anyone interested, we'll include a bunch of links in the show notes below. If you're listening on Spotify or on podcasts and you want to see the video, head over to YouTube. If you're on YouTube, you know, it's too late. You already watched it all, (laughs) but more links, links everywhere. Links Links everywhere. everywhere. Thank you so much. And we'll see everyone on the next episode. Thank you, Jess. Bye.